live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the Friday Show. So glad to have you with us. All right, let's start off with a little bit of good news. Um, Stock market up almost 500 points right now. It actually opened up bigger. You might ask, what what is going on? Well, what happened was yesterday, uh, a company that's been working on a treatment, not a cure, but a treatment for COVID-19. It's called um, Gilead Sciences. They were reporting that this drug that they have been using has been showing very, very positive signs. Now, it's not... It's not a preventive. It's not a vaccine, but it, it's a treatment. If I were going to try to use an example, and it's an imperfect example, but you know, right now, if you get the flu and you go in and you see the doctor early enough, they give you a prescription, something I think it's called Tamiflu, and it, it doesn't it doesn't make the flu go away. But what happens is, if you take it in a timely fashion, for most people, it lessens the symptoms. You get better quicker. That. What they're working on here, th- this drug that they've been, been testing and getting some really positive results for, that, that's what it does. Now, they, it's only a limited sort of thing right now, but they've been giving it to, you know, people who've been hospitalized with serious symptoms. And, and what they're finding is that they're, instead of people having to be in the hospital seven or ten days, they're able to discharge people after three days. It, it's early. But it's, it's a very, very promising thing. And the truth of the matter is, and this is one of the things that I think people lose sight of when we talk about the coronavirus and, and how long you know, we're going to be dealing with shutdowns, is it, it's not going to go away. I mean, it's not going to go away until you have a vaccine, which is a year to a year and a half away. And even if you get a vaccine, there's a lot of people who will refuse to get the vaccine. That's just what the reality of this is. So it's all about really, I think, trying to find treatments for this. And if you could really find effective treatments that for at least large chunks of the population. I mean, I don't know how this was going to work with the people who, uh, again, have the compromised immune systems or things like that. But for large chunks of the population, if you could get a treatment which would be effective and say, hey, for most people, if you get this virus, you know, you can get this prescription drug and, and, and it's going to mitigate or it's going to minimize the symptoms, that would be a big, huge step to getting back to normal. And again, we're, we're not we're not close to that because these are just the early stages. But these reports came out yesterday, and that's why you see the stock market up because I think there, there's optimism that maybe we're starting to get a, a solution through medical science. All right, yesterday during the, the program, Governor Evers, I think, surprised a lot of people by announcing that he was going to attempt, and I, I say attempt because I think he's kind of on shaky legal ground, but that's a whole other story, to continue to essentially keep the state of Wisconsin closed for six weeks beyond his, his initial month-long order. And, and even though 
the, the headline said there, there's some loosening up. There, there's really not. Yes, you can you, you can play outside on a golf course, and and yes, for some non-essential businesses, people can be allowed to go back inside the business. But you're really not going to be open to retail. As a matter of fact, he he actually imposed more restrictions because even businesses that have been allowed to be open now there's going to be strict rules about how many people you you can let in at any given time, and it's been extremely controversial. I, I want to kind of walk through this and tell you how I, I think about this. Personally, the, the safer at home, the safer at home restrictions have been an inconvenience. I, I mean, I'm still, I'm still working. You know, my, my company still, you know, gives me a paycheck twice a month. I'm still working. I, I'm working from home. Actually, I kind of like working from home. I'm, I miss seeing my, you know, friends and colleagues at, at work, but I, I, I kind of like working at home. I miss being able to do some of the things that I, I used to do. I'm a very social person, married to a very social woman, and, and we, we have this wide set of friends, and I, I miss being able to go out to dinner with, with our friends, and I miss being able to you know go have a beer in a bar with some of my friends. I, I miss being able to go to the movie theaters, <clears throat> miss being able to, to get my regular haircut every three weeks, but, but it, it's, it's an inconvenience for someone like me. It's an inconvenience. There are other people, though, for whom this is not an inconvenience. It is, in many respects, an economic life-or-death situation. Now, yesterday afternoon, after the governor announced that he was going to increase this stay-at-home thing or try to keep the businesses in Wisconsin closed for another six weeks, there were a number of, of reports that came out of the restaurant industry, you know, came out with, you know, a couple statements saying that, that they think if this order really is in effect for the next six weeks, restaurant industry experts in Wisconsin fear that half of the restaurants in the state, half, could be closed permanently because they just can't take the loss of capital. Half. There are national studies where you've got some industry groups who are predicting that it might be as high as 80% of restaurants across the country will be forced to close. Now, I okay, I, may, maybe that 80% is exaggerated. Maybe the 50% is exaggerated. Maybe it's only 30%. But but that's that's the restaurant industry. Tavern industry is the same thing. Other small businesses are feeling the same thing. And I understand that for people for whom this is an inconvenience, it's easy to say, well, what's the big deal? Well, all right, imagine if you were a business owner and you have invested your entire life's work into running your business and building your business, and this business is what sustains you and sustains your employees. The business is what pays your mortgage. The business is something that you have worked your entire life for. And all, and your, your future is wrapped up in this, as well as the future of your employees and others. And imagine what happens if, if suddenly, through no fault of your own, and with no due process, no right to challenge this in court, no access to legislative change, no, no right, I mean, for example, um, the state of Florida just did away with dog racing, okay? But, but it was a, a process 
that went on a, a year and a half, two years through the legislature, before the legislature ultimately passed this. Well, at least the, the people in the dog racing industry, at least they had two years to try to work with the legislature and work with the governor, and they ended up losing. So, okay, that, that's fine. That's how it worked. But they had a, they had a chance. They had the opportunity to argue why their, their business should not be eliminated. So what's happened now is over the, the course of the last month or so, you have, with, with no right to challenge in the court, no right to go to a legislature and try to argue about this, just by an executive fiat, one person coming out with an order, what you find is that your your business, your livelihood, what you have invested your life savings and your future in, it has now been or is in the process of being taken away from you. And I think that has to be considered as as well. Now, on the flip side of this, you've got public safety, of course. And, and nobody wants to do stuff that's irresponsible and unreasonably danger, and dangerous to people. But that's where this conflict comes in. For coronavirus in Wisconsin, and I'm not talking about New Jersey or New York or, or whatever, the truth of the matter is when we put in the safer-at-home rules, the idea was flatten the curve. We understand that we're not going to be able to eliminate coronavirus until there's a vaccine. It, people are going to get it. What you want to do is you want to manage it. You want to make sure that so many people don't get it that you overwhelm the health care system. All right, well, what's happened is, because of safer at home or whatever, the health care system has not been overwhelmed. Even in Milwaukee County, where there's the, the largest outbreak in the state, it, we're, we're not overwhelmed at, at all. As a matter of fact, there's all sorts of excess capacity in hospitals. Hospitals are laying off people because in anticipation of a surge, which thankfully hasn't happened at this point in time, they're, they're not doing other procedures. And so, you know, the hospitals have plenty of capacity at this point. And, you know, outside of Milwaukee County, I mean, you, you've got lots and lots of hospital beds because not only isn't it not flattening the curve, but the, the number of cases throughout a large part of the state, it's not just a curve, it, it's probably not even a speed bump. You look at the map of where coronavirus is, half of the reported cases approximately, are in Milwaukee County, and of those cases, about three-quarters are in the city of Milwaukee. So at this point in time, it is a very, very localized situation. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What bothers me the most about the governor's order is the one-size-fits-all approach for this. Now, I understand that you can maybe make an argument saying, hey, in, in Milwaukee County, you know, we, we, we have not flattened the curve. We, we, haven't, we haven't seen the surge that we were worried about. We haven't seen the large numbers, but we could. You know, we're, we're still seeing a growth in the number of people with coronavirus. We're, we're still concerned, particularly in the city of Milwaukee with these areas. So I understand where you could say, all right, we're going to continue to impose these restrictions in the area where it's, it's been hit the hardest. But I think what is so difficult for people to accept, and adding me, is when you look at the map of the state and you see that the vast majority of the state does not have a significant problem at all with this. Now, you don't want them to. I, I get it. But, but they don't have it. The, the numbers just don't back up 
saying that, okay, we are going to essentially destroy this business that you have worked your entire life to, to put together. I think the governor would have been so much better if he would have come out and said, look, I, we're, we're looking at these numbers. We realize that there are areas in the state where there are hot spots, and we recognize that what we're going to do in those hot spots has to be different than what we do in the majority of the state. And we also have to be flexible because if all of a sudden, you know, we open things up a little and it turns out that we have a flare-up in Barron County or we have a flare-up in La Crosse, well, okay, then maybe we need to, like, roll some stuff back. But th- there's not the numbers that are there now. Plus, on top of that, I think most of us are smart. Most of us understand the whole safer at home thing. I don't know about you, but it, but it doesn't it doesn't matter whether there's a government order or not. It's going to be a long time before I rush into a bar with 200 people. I mean, it's just I think most of us, it's you know, we're, we're not going to be in a hurry to put ourselves at risk. And for the people that are in the particular at risk groups. Well, I think it's pretty clear that it's going to be a long time before they're going to feel comfortable going back into a restaurant, for example, under any set of circumstances. Okay, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think the governor, the breadth of his order is wrong. I think instead of trying to figure out how to keep stuff closed down for longer periods of time, he should have been figuring out ways to open up areas of the state that candidly do not have a significant problem at this point, with the understanding is that if there's a flare-up, well, well, maybe we can adapt to it. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I, I don't consider this to be, oh, you don't care about human life. I, I do. At the same time, there does have to be, I think, some some balancing that is is out there. I think you have to do a cost-benefit analysis because otherwise we're not going to open up this state for a year, a year and a half because coronavirus is going to be around. The question is, how do you deal with it? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back with your calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Bill sends me an email. Jeff, I agree. The extension of the stay-at-home order is a symptom of a misguided, one-size-fits-all approach by Governor Evers that the facts on the ground don't support. The Department of Health Services' own data shows that COVID is a disease centered in metropolitan areas. There are large areas of individual counties and huge parts of the state with zero hospitalizations and no recent infections or spread of the disease. Hospitals and doctors' offices are not overwhelmed. Some are actually laying off staff. Yet Evers is extending the order statewide as if we had Wuhan or New York-level infections. The order is killing the economy, destroying people's lives, devastating both small and large businesses. There are thousands of actual people who will never recover from a shutdown far in excess of those in excess of those who might catch COVID-19. All right, here another text. Jeff, I love what you're talking about right now. It's been quite a challenge, as you can imagine, being in a small business. However, we're okay and we'll survive. My only concern is what's the end game? What tangible goals do we need to reach in order to slowly start opening again? We have no guidance on that. What's to say at the end of May they won't try to extend it another six weeks? All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage 
talk and text line. Let's talk to Jeff in Kenosha. Jeff, you're first. Hello. Hi. Good afternoon. How you doing? Good. You doing? What do you think about all this? Well, my concern was, I mean, I think you had a caller on it the other day about some of these small towns that, you know, some older people live in, and they're concerned that people from Milwaukee or Illinois are going to come up in their cabins and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. use their stores. And, okay, are you going to wait for an outbreak in these little towns um, that would probably kill some of these old people that, that live there? And I'm wondering if um, they would ever be allowed to come up to your cabins this summer from anyone well, out of town. Yeah, no, thanks for the call. I mean, that, that that's the question. I mean, it's how, how long do you do this? And as a matter of fact, I mean, people can still still do that now. I mean, they discourage you from it. But, I mean, if, if I had a place up in Door County and I wanted to go up there tomorrow, they're not going to arrest me. I mean, so there's always that risk that is is out there which is why i see i just it's frustrating to me that we don't trust people now i mean i think most people you know want to do the right thing most people as i was saying are, are going to practice the social distancing they're going to you know avoid being around crowds and i will tell you that in in other areas where there were concerns that if you let people migrate from one place to another, you're going to have huge outbreaks. There's a story in either the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times a couple days ago looking at some of the snowbirds from Florida who have have decided to leave Florida and and go back to, you know, the the communities where they came from because they wanted to be closer to home. And, And they're not seeing that this is bringing any sort of noticeable like increase in infections into those areas we want to be smart i mean don't don't get me wrong i I understand we want to be smart we want to continue to practice this i just think that you have to be smart and saying where where is the problem and how do you justify putting restrictions that have real world implications for people that's why i started the segment by saying for me it's an inconvenience okay so i i can't get my hair cut all right i can live with that i i can live with that but for me it's an inconvenience but for all sorts of people who live paycheck to paycheck whose jobs have been just taken away. I, I think those folks have every right to say, wait a second, we, where I live, there, there's no reported instances of this. There's not a curve. There's not a speed bump. There, there's nothing to flatten. I want to go back to work. And if it turns out that all of a sudden we, we sort of have an outbreak, oh, okay, fine, we, we can deal with that on the chance that it might occur. But there's probably just as good a chance that it's not going to occur in any sort of significant way because it, it hadn't in the past. All right, we're going We've got a lot of great calls on the line. If you're on the line, please hold on. We're going to continue this conversation in just a couple minutes. I, I'm, I understand that this desire that we want to be safe. I get what the governor is, is trying to do, but it doesn't seem to me that there's any consideration of what the effects of this is and, and no balancing that's going on. Back with more calls in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. During the break, I I was looking at the reported instances of coronavirus county by county. And, you know, again, half of the report, approximately half of the reported instances of coronavirus in the entire state, there's 72 counties, are are Milwaukee. Um, You know, Racine has 156. Let's see, Kenosha has 208. Uh, Dane County, da, 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 da. Dane County has 352, but Dane County has been level. I think they only had two or three over the last day or so, but Dane County has been level. And, and beyond that, 
statistically there's there there's just it's not it's not a curve that we're flattening there, there's a speed bump and there might not even be a speed bump so i mean i understand why southeastern wisconsin or milwaukee county you might want to have more extensive restrictions i also understand i guess the concern that well gee you, you might have some people from milwaukee county who decide that they're they're going to travel how realistic is that, though, that you're going to have a large number of people infected in Milwaukee County that are going to drive up to Marinette to get their hair cut? It just, as a practical matter in the real world, I don't think that's going to happen. I just, this one-size-fits-all approach, especially when we look at what the consequences are, given the fact that there's lots and lots of businesses around the state that aren't going to be able to make it another six weeks. That's the reality, which means the employees aren't going to have jobs. And from the perspective of government and, and government employees, which thus far have been largely economically untouched, and, and I understand there's some people been laid off, but most government workers are continuing to work and collect their checks and things like that, and that's all great. But, but once these businesses close and once people lose their jobs, a hit to the tax base in this state is going to be enormous. What the governor yesterday was sending a note saying he he thinks it's going to be a $2 billion loss. Well, all right, this is going to affect, there's going to be a ripple effect that that affects the public sector as well, and it affects the ability to provide services, which is why I think we have to have a balanced approach. You do not want to be irresponsible, but at the same time, you can't just simply say, okay, we're going to close down the state for, for two months even in areas where there's no significant incidence of this problem, seems to me. 855-616-1620. Charlie in Richfield. Charlie, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Charlie. Um, I'm, a dairy farmer. I'm a dairy farmer from Richfield. I milk about 150 cows, which makes me a roughly average-sized farm in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, when, before this all started, milk prices were a decent, at least profitable or break-even. Since the, since the order has been signed, no prices have dropped an incredible amount of money. We're looking at a shortfall at about $20,000 just this month, just one month. Um, and we were mm. cautiously optimistic that, okay, that's one month. We can float our way through that. Now it's another right. month. It could be another month after that. I had a meeting with our employees, which we don't usually do, and I told them beginning of the month, I said, you guys are more than welcome to work, continue working here. They're like family to us. But we don't have a pen, we don't have a feasible way to pay you at the end of the month. I'm not going to sit here and and, and lie to you. And luck, luckily, our employees, uh, who are like family to us, um, stepped up and are continuing to milk our cows and and help us out here. But mm-hmm. uh, it's just it's, it's just not going to last. Um, our farm has been in our family since the 1840s. Um, we're the longest continually owned family farm in our county, um, and we're just if any more, we, we can't take any more, and it's, there's nothing left. Mm-hmm. What, what, what is hitting you the hardest? Is it, is it the, the demand is just completely dried up? Is that is that the problem? I mean, what what's the biggest problem you're facing with this? Well, as far as the demand side of it, that's more of a, a processing issue, in my opinion, a processing and distribution issue. But it comes back to the farmer as far as what we're getting paid for the milk. Um, I don't right. think there's necessarily a demand problem. There's just a disconnect between the processors, the distributors. There's no, there's no shortage of milk on the farm side of it and a lot of people see empty stores which is another irritating thing see empty stores and they right. say well farmers need to produce more there's no production shortage on our end of the line there's a disconnect somewhere in the supply chain or the distribution chain of milk hmm. so what what do you do i mean it's a practical matter if if this goes on another 
another four, five, six weeks. I mean, what what's going to happen to, to you? Well, I was hoping you would ask me that. The, the problem is we've had downturns before. The problem with this downturn is it's literally a depression. Nothing we have is worth anything. I can't sell anything. I can't sell excess dairy cows. I had a load of excess animals, excess heifers that was supposed to go to Iowa a couple weeks ago, which would help me pay at least some bills. The day before I was set to take them down there, the guy called me and said he can no longer accept the animals because his dairy will not take any more milk. They're shutting down processing plants as far as meat processing plants, so there's no market for call cows, which are older cows at the end of their lifespan. Um, there's right. no market for my machinery. I can't sell my machinery. That's totally worthless. Um, but we still have to milk and feed the cows. We still have to continue to milk them. We still have to continue to feed them. The expenses remain the same, and in some cases they increase because of the coronavirus. And you're just really stuck between a rock and a hard place. There's, there's literally nothing, nowhere you can go and nowhere you can turn. And it's so frustrating because I, don't, I get the opinion that Evers didn't even take that into account when he put his, uh, his uh, what do you call it, um, right. order the, the, the in order, here for, right, for, the order in place, for longer yeah. shutdown. I mean, I'm an, I'm an yeah. average-sized farm, and there's 8,500 8, farms across the state, I think about. 8500 times $20,000 loss, I mean, that's an astronomical amount of money at a time when the dairy industry could least afford to do it. I, 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 don't, I just don't get the comprehension from the governor, especially, and especially, and also public employees, like you said earlier, are getting their checks still yet. I just don't think they comprehend the damage. I mean, this is un, uncomprehendable even to me, and I'm right in the middle of it. Yeah, thank, thanks for the call. I, I, wish, I, appreciate, I, wish, I wish I had answered that, but I do really appreciate the call because I, I think we have done – a bad job, and I'm talking about the media, I think we have done a bad job of putting a face and faces on, on the other side of, of, of this issue. And I, I understand, look, we, we all, you, you turn on the television set and, and you see you know, the, these huge outbreaks in New York and you, you look at these staggering numbers and things like that and, and, and then we, we say, okay, well, we, we, we've got to do everything we can to guarantee you know, safety. And I get these emails or texts from people saying, you know, what's the cost of, of one life? And, and you, you just don't care about human life. Well, it, it's not that, that, that at all. But there's the flip side of this as well, which is why you do have to have some sort of balance balancing on this which to me would be concentrate on the hot spots and i mean i don't i don't know that milwaukee county is a hot spot per se i mean it's not like we're having these huge surges and that you're having a huge surge in milwaukee county but but that's to the extent where you're 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 seeing the, the growth in cases that's that's where it is so all right so you put some rules in effect there you work with the mayor and you work with the local officials and you say okay this is what we have to do but we're, we can't impose this across the board vincent on the northwest side vincent you're on wtmj good afternoon jeff hi vincent what do you uh, think first about of all, this? be I, the I, voice I, of I, reason I, excuse me be the voice of reason I'll be the, I, I don't think I'm going to be the voice of reason here, but but the, first of all, I say I want to empathize with the, uh, the the dairy farmer that just was on. But the fact is, is that last year we had a record number of, of farms close in this state, and and coronavirus wasn't even involved in it. So a lot of these farmers were basically on the edge anyway. So and the fact is, I agree with the governor uh, trying to deal with this balancing act that he's trying to do because he's not going to have wholesale openings uh, of businesses because the fact is, uh, if he does it gradually, what he's trying to do, he, uh, the fact is, is that uh, uh, if he does that, you're going to have things like the Smithville Ham Company. 
You're going to have things like the, uh, the the football player that went into just to have rehab, and all of a sudden he he, he comes out and has coronavirus. The fact is, is that when you talk about social distancing, when you look at the protesters, they're not social distancing. They're basically gathering together to protest. So people are as Vincent, smart as you but, think but, they but are. Wait, but but wait, but we but would you agree with me that we're we're not going to eliminate coronavirus? Coronavirus is going to be with us for the next year or two that that's just a reality so there's always going to be the possibility that somebody has it just and I, look i know it's not the flu but just like somebody could get the flu and, and go in and they they can infect people i understand covid 19 is more you know more more uh, likely to infect people but we're, we're not going yeah. to eliminate so there's always going to be the chance that you're talking about there's always going to be the chance that the football player goes into the place and, and has contact i mean can we keep the can we keep the state closed down for two years? No, I don't think you can you can close down a state for two years. No, but I, I think. But the fact is, I think President Trump also mentioned this is going to have to be a gradual opening, and so you just can't. You know, some businesses are going to win in this gradual opening. Some businesses are going to lose, and so it, it, it's a terrible situation economically. But the fact is, is that the governor just can't host the open open up the state because the fact is, is that. Some businesses are going to complain that hey, you, why are this why is this business open and why can't I open? And so, okay, so well, I, I think that I think he's doing the right thing is trying to slow it down, slow it as slow as possible. I mean, th- thanks for call. I guess I I would see I would, I guess my my response would be, look, we we have to be smart about this. I I don't understand again why you treat Lacrosse County different than you what why you treat that the same as you might treat Milwaukee County and, and you're right but I, I guess I, I'm not this cavalier I guess I'm not kind of cavalier enough to say okay well some people are going to be winners and some people are going to be losers and it's been your family business and you've invested you know your entire life in this and well you're you're just kind of out of luck that's I, I, that's tough for me to take that approach especially if you're in an area where for all intents and purposes there is no there is no illness the, the virus is is not there it's there in such a limited fashion and again you, you have to be flexible look i i understand if you make the decision that hey we're going to we're going to open up the top third of the state and then you know be continue to monitor these numbers and if all of a sudden you see oh my gosh you know we we've just we've gone from three infections to now now we've got you know 130 okay well then then maybe you dial it back up there i don't think that that's going to end up i don't think that that's going to happen but but you know who knows if it does you can be flexible but otherwise if you don't take that approach then you're not you're not going to have the justification for opening up anything moving forward and like i say for me it's an inconvenience it's it's that's the bottom line it is an inconvenience but for other people we are destroying livelihoods and if you're going to do that i think first of all these people should have due process secondly i think that you know the legislature should have a role in that and thirdly just saying well there's going to be winners and losers and and you know too, too bad you're a loser I, that, that's a tough approach to, to take, especially when it's coming exclusively from an order from the governor and you have, as a business person, no recourse or an employee of that business. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
Well, it was the crew's first trip to the NLCS in seven years, and Miller Park was rocking. Tune in next Wednesday, April 22nd, for another Brewers Classic. Mr. Baseball, Bob Euchre, calls Game 1 of the 2018 NLCS. It's Clayton Kershaw and the Dodgers against Brandon Woodruff and the Brewers. Brewers Classic, sponsored by Great Midwest Bank, Dray Camp Heating and Cooling, Boucher Automotive, West Bend Insurance, and Previa. Those those are fun. And, and you know, and, and by the way, I understand part of the governor's orders, and, and some of it makes sense to me. For example, the fact that they've ordered all the schools closed is, is no surprise to me for the, for the balance of the school year. It, it's no surprise. I think this was inevitable because you, you, there, there's no ability to practice social distancing at all in these classrooms where you've got the kids all, all crammed in together. Okay, you, you, you can't do that, so you've got all the kids closed in. I understand why that would be the case. I understand why we're not talking about you know, arguing, uh, opening up movie theaters where at any given time you could have you know, 100 or 200 or 300 people you know, sitting in close confines next to each other. So that makes sense to me. What doesn't make sense is the idea that we're going to close, order a, I don't know, order, order a restaurant closed in a county where there's been two coronavirus outbreaks for the entire month. I mean, two instances of that, and both people are recovered. There's no reported instances of this. The restaurant can, you know, you, you put on, what, what are some of the places, like in Los Angeles, in California, some of the rules are, you know, the servers have to wear masks and wear, and wear gloves, and you've got to limit the capacity of the restaurant. All those things, that's the type of thing that would make sense. Instead of just saying, we're going to willy-nilly close everything down, and if, if you lose your, your business of a lifetime and all your employees are unemployed, well, too bad, so sad, we're, we're upset about that. I think, you know, that's... That's what you're seeing, that this objection that a lot of this order, the one-size-fits-all, doesn't make any sense at all. Plus, then you've got some of the things that are, are silly. I, I, I've tried to avoid the golf course debate because, to me, this whole idea of picking and choosing winners and losers between essential and non-essential businesses, to me, that's always been the wrong question. The question that we should have been asking all along is, does allowing this particular business to stay open, does that substantially increase the chance that this virus is going to spread through the community? That, that to me, has been what the inquiry should be, instead of saying, okay, we're going to differentiate between the fabric store and the hobby store that, that sells fabric, and the one can stay open and the one can't. That, that's never, it's just never made any sense to me. You know, the, the golf course thing. Now, now Governor Evers has now modified his order to say that, that golf courses can be open, but the, the pro shops can't be open, the, the restaurants can't be open, you can't take a golf cart, and um, you know. Th- then there are all sorts of other restrictions. And I had a, a texter yesterday who made this, this absolutely great point. He said, "Let me get this straight. If if me and my three buddies want to play golf, I can go pick them up. We can all sit together in my car. We can drive over to the golf course, but we we can't sit in a golf cart together." I mean, you know, we're, we, we've been in we've been in the car driving to the course. We're going to get back in the car and drive home from the course, but but we can't, you know, be in a golf cart together. How does that make sense? And the answer is, it doesn't make any sense. And, and this is 
This is the problem. Am I glad that they're going to open up golf courses for people who can walk? Yes. My hope is I'm going to look at the weather forecast, and my hope is that you know I can get out and walk nine holes you know, in, in the next week or so, uh, if the weather is decent next week. But, again, it's these, it's these rules that make no sense because you try to do all the one-size-fits-all things. One of the breaking news stories is that uh, Assembly Speaker Robin Voss um, threatening a, a lawsuit um, about the, the governor's ability to just shut down you know, shut down the, the state by for by an order for weeks and weeks and weeks. I think he's on questionable legal ground if he tries to keep the shutdown beyond May 13th. But hopefully it, it shouldn't come to that. Like I say, this this makes sense. Keeping some stuff shut down makes sense. Keeping the schools closed makes sense to me. Keeping restaurants closed in Milwaukee, the city of Milwaukee, makes sense to me. But But one size fits all doesn't. And we have to, I think, spend more time looking at what the flip side of some of this is going to be, given what the reality of coronavirus is. Okay, we're going to move on in the next uh, segment of the program. Um, Coming up in the 1 o'clock hour, it's an interesting story about a, a young woman who was threatened by the police for something she posted on the Internet. I want to tell you about that. We will discuss that. And then... Nursing's homes and prisons in the era of COVID-19. It's all coming up. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. A number of people are saying, are you going to promote that, that rally they're scheduled to have a week from today at the Capitol, people protesting the, the governor's order? And it's part part of part of this is while I, I think the government governor's order, as I've been explaining, is is a gross overreach. Um, at the same time, I don't know the idea of thousands of people, even in an outdoor setting, getting t- together. Uh, I just I w- would would I be would I be thrilled about doing that? No, because I, I do think part of my argument is I, I think most people are smart enough to maintain social distancing. I had somebody send me this note over the break saying, well, you know, all, all it takes is, is, you know, one person that's a carrier to walk into a place and they can infect all those sorts of other people. Okay, well, yeah, I understand that. I, I get it. But that same thing could be true of people who are going to the, the Walmarts and the Costcos and the grocery stores and the hardware stores and, and all those, those other places. That's That that could happen now. Does the, in, does the chance of that significantly <laughs> increase because you've decided to allow the the barber to open up or you've allowed the the restaurant owner to open up in an area where there's little or no coronavirus and my answer would be no it it it's not um because the one thing that is frustrating is if if we are not going to reopen the state until there is no coronavirus Right. What, what's the state going to look like two years from now? Because that's the reality. Even though I do want to go back to the way I started this program, some of the good news and some of the reason that the stock market is up, well, still up almost 400 points, is because there, there's been some, some trials of some drugs, not a cure, but a treatment that are showing very, very positive re- results. The idea that it doesn't prevent you from getting coronavirus, but what they're saying is for people who have COVID-19, They've been treating them with this. It's still the early stages, but they're showing that, you know, people recover in in a couple days, which is 
which is very, very good news. Okay, here's a story um, that I'm curious as to your reaction to this. Journal Sentinel had this. It's an interesting court case, and, and now there, there's a lawsuit about this in federal court. Here, here, here is the deal. Does the government have the right, or should the government have the right, to stop you from putting information on the Internet, even if the information might create some public discomfort? Here, here's, this, here's the story. Um, Westfield, Westfield, which is in sort of like West Central Wisconsin. Okay, here, here's what happens. There's, there's a spring break trip to Florida. In, in March, the school band goes to Florida in March, and there's this gal that goes, one of the students goes along on the trip. They come back middle of March, earlier than planned because of the coronavirus outbreak. So they come back on March 16th. What happens is four or five days later, the girl who was on the band trip falls ill, has trouble breathing. She's taken to hospitals in Portage and Madison over the next week. She tested negative for coronavirus on March 25th. All right, so they come back on March 15th. Four or five days later, she starts experiencing these symptoms. She goes into the hospital where she's treated. Um, She's tested on March 25th, and she comes back negative. The doctors tell her, you likely had coronavirus. You likely had this, but we tested it too late to get a positive result, right? So you you had it, but it it just didn't show up. Okay, she posted on Instagram three messages about her situation. One said she wouldn't be back in school for a while because she had coronavirus. One said she might have to stay in the emergency room. Then she posted another picture of her wearing an oxygen mask. She says, I'm still on breathing treatment, but I've beaten the coronavirus. Stay home and be safe. All right. Now, you might think, why, why would this be controversial, right? We're, we're trying to publicize this. Well, what happens is March 27th, okay, two days after she tests negative, a, a sheriff's deputy shows up, Marquette County Sheriff's deputy shows up at her house, talks to her father, and says, the sheriff told, you, told him your daughter better delete her Instagram post or they were going to start taking people to jail. Start taking people to jail. And the sheriff's deputy apparently says, you know, you, you and your family can be cited for disorderly conduct based on what your daughter has put up on Facebook. Um, it said the, the sheriff was demanding that this post be removed because there weren't any confirmed coronavirus cases in the county and that he had gotten a complaint from school authorities. All right, so what, what happened is when he's threatened with being taken to jail, they, they delete the stuff from the account. Um, apparently what had happened is the administrator for the school system had sent an update to parents saying there was no truth to a rumor that a student had contracted coronavirus during the band trip. Um, this was a foolish means to get attention, and the source of the rumor has been addressed. The rumor had caught the attention of our public health department, and the public health people were involved in putting a stop to this nonsense. You do not need misinformation about there. Uh, an attorney for the sheriff says the kid, the girl, had caused distress and panic among other parents by claiming that she had contracted coronavirus despite getting a negative test result. This case is nothing more than a 2020 version of screaming fire in a crowded theater. 
they said. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The cops go out and tell the father and the daughter that they're going to be taken to prison, to jail, if they don't delete this post where the girl says, hey, I went on this band trip, I was sick, sick. I had these symptoms, I was told that I, I had coronavirus. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It strikes me that law enforcement, and I'm a pro-cop guy, it strikes me that law enforcement is so unbelievably out of line here that it needs to be reined in. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did the girl, did the student, should she have had a right to post what she posted there? 855-616-1620. And do we want police running around at the direction of apparently the schools saying, all right, you have to delete these posts because we think you are contributing to a public panic? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you, there are so many aspects of the story that if the facts are as alleged, and there's now a lawsuit, I think this is really scary on a lot of different levels. We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I I understand we're in extraordinary times, but th- this story, I, I think, should bother anybody with any sort of sense of civil liberty, whether you're a conservative or a liberal or a Republican or a Democrat. You have this this kid who goes on this band trip to Florida. Comes back. She's showing symptoms of coronavirus okay she's getting a couple hospitals she's got the various symptoms she ultimately tests positive but the doctors tell her we we think you had it it's just that we we did the test too late for this to show up so she posts three things on social media describing her condition and the things she was going through and then you've got the the sheriff who sends a deputy out and says, if you don't take this down you're going to be charged with a crime and we're going to take you to jail I mean, this is still America, isn't it? 855-616-1620. Here's a text. Jeff, I'm pro-law enforcement. I definitely would not take it down, and I would explain to the officers how out of line they were. Uh, Jeff, OMG, I think that sheriff went to the same school as the president for civics classes to learn how government works and the powers of each level of office. It boggles one's mind. I wholeheartedly agree with you. Jeff, have they heard about the First Amendment? Well, way over the line. Yeah, you, you, can't, you, you can't stand up in a crowded theater and yell fire. Okay, on, on the other hand... You stand up in the crowded theater, and there's smoke coming from, okay, a couple chairs down the road, and you say, okay, there's a fire here. Um, You you can't be prosecuted because they say, well, it it really wasn't a fire. It was just smoldering a little bit. And and it is mind-boggling to me. Now, if the school district, which is obviously very – let's understand what's going on here. You have the school district – that doesn't want, is very defensive. They don't want to be accused of taking the kids on this band trip 
and exposing them to some sort of illness. And it seems like the school district out in Westfield is more concerned with the PR aspect. We don't want the public to think that one of our kids got sick than they are with the fact that maybe one of their kids really did get sick. And, I mean, again, if this is a situation where you have fault, you could prove that the woman was putting up false things. It's perhaps a a different story. Even then, I don't think that's a basis to send the cops out and threaten dad and the girl with being locked up. That's way, a way abuse of authority. But in this particular case, it doesn't even strike me that she posted anything that was false. She says, hey, I had all these symptoms. You know, I was in the emergency room. I was on oxygen. Here's a picture with my mask. And the doctors told me I thought I had a coronavirus, even though she tested negative. Okay, that's all accurate. And yet she is being threatened with prison or jail for this, and they demand it takes it down. Look, this is America. We do not live in Russia. We do not live in communist China. And I understand that some people don't want to be making, made to look bad, and I understand that you don't want to unnecessarily panic people. But we have this First Amendment. You get to express things. And it seems to me what this young lady did is describe what accurately happened to her. And if that means that the school district has to send out a letter saying, we understand that one of our kids uh, got sick following this band trip. Um, We don't believe that it was coronavirus. We believe it was something else. Okay, if they want to do that to cover their butts, fine, they can do it. But you shouldn't be able to use law enforcement to threaten to arrest people for this. It's scary. There's a lawsuit uh, against the the sheriff, and it doesn't seek big dollars. It seeks to have the sheriff stopped from doing this in the future. And you know what? The sheriff should be stopped from doing this in the future. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. You know, it's it's interesting to me to see how some people just refuse to kind of live in in the real world. I, regardless of what side of your of the aisle you're on, if the Democratic National Convention had come to Milwaukee this summer, it would have been outstanding. I mean, I, I was actually we were scheduled to broadcast from there. I, I was looking forward to. to doing this, but mostly I was looking forward to what this would mean for the economy of the region. Hotel rooms filled, bars filled, restaurants filled, all the other attendant services filled. It was just going to be a great opportunity. The reality is coronavirus has pretty much killed that. And so the, the Democrats had announced that they were going to postpone the convention till August. Right. Well, yesterday, the um, Terry McAuliffe, who's the former governor of Virginia, um, he was the guy that was in charge of the 2000 Democratic Convention. He's a, a Clintonista. I mean, he, he said, look, the bottom line is it's extremely unlikely, that they're, very unlikely, that there's going to be a Milwaukee convention this year. And, and he really went to the heart of it. And I understand that we have some local politicians who are saying, well, we think it's still on, etc. But McAuliffe hit the nail on the head. He said, it's a very, very difficult environment for Democrats to raise the money they need to hold the event. See, this is the reality. You, to raise, to hold the event, you need about 70 million bucks. Okay, that's what that's what the goal is. You need 15,000 volunteers. They, you, you had the original fundraisers, the people who were originally in charge of this, and, and they ended up having to fire two of the two at the top of it based on allegations of hostile workplace and things like that. And so that, that set them back. So let's say they've raised $20 million, okay? You, you need 70. 
how can you raise money in this environment? I mean, can you imagine being a fundraiser, going out and trying to hit up a big company saying, hey, you know, we, we want you to um, we want you to kick in $5 million at the time when you're, okay, your business is essentially shut down, you've laid off three-quarters of your employees, or everybody's taken a 20 or 25% pay cut, but give us a few million dollars. It's just an environment. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican. It's an environment that it is impossible to, to raise money in. And the story yesterday is that the Democratic National Committee, the host committee, ha- has laid off or transferred half of its staff. And, and again, this to me is a recognition that the convention, and I'm not happy about it, believe me, I think it's terrible, but it, it's a recognition that the convention, as we had originally hoped it was going to be, just just can't happen. I mean, if, 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 if this was going to realistically happen, you would be adding staff and you would be ramping stuff up. And what they're doing now is they went from 31 employees to 14. And some of the employees were offered other positions with the Democratic Party, et, et cetera, et cetera. But... But the bottom line is, th- this is just an indication, despite you know the rose-colored glasses that people might put on it, that all the, these hopes that we had for this economic boom in the city of Milwaukee in August, or originally in July, it, it's just flat out not going to happen. The other issue is, just as a practical matter, as we've been talking about, you know, r- regardless of whether the state is open for business or the country is open for business, I mean, how long is it going to be realistically before? You want to go out and and cram into an arena with thousands and thousands and thousands of other people. And I think that's that's a long time off. And that's not government. That's just the psychology of individuals. So bottom line of this is for for anybody, including some of the local politicians who are still saying, well, we're anticipating there's going to be a big Democratic National Convention here. I, I, I hope I'm wrong. But I think it's pretty clear that that's just not going to be happening, at least in the way that any of us viewed it. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. Let's have a couple non-coronavirus conversations as we kind of ease into the weekend. I mean, and I understand what's going on with the world, but uh, sometimes I think, it's just it's reasonable to kind of talk about some other stuff. And there's there's actually, and I acknowledge this is a lighter story, and it but it, it's catching my my attention because there's a couple different kinds of people in the world, and and I happen to be one that I don't know if I like something, I, I like it, and I'm not necessarily in a hurry to change to find the thing with the brand new bells and whistles. All right, here, here's the deal, and it's it's one of those things that my wife looks at me with, again, that, that look that all you ladies learn from your moms, that it's like I, I can't understand what he is thinking. When it comes to smartphones, right, I have, I have one of the old Apple iPhone SEs. It's one of these phones. It's got a four-inch screen. I have had this phone for several years. Uh, matter of fact, about a year and a half ago or two years ago, the battery in the phone died, and, and I was kind of distraught. I went, I went, and I was able to replace the battery for forty bucks. It's as good as new. It is a small screen, all right, but this phone does everything that I need it to do. It makes phone calls. It lets me check my voicemail. It lets me have internet access. I can watch video on it. Is it clearest screen in the world? No, it, it's 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 not. But but I like it. 
As a matter of fact, a couple of years ago, I bought a newer iPhone, like an iPhone 8 or something. I, I bought it, and I, I started using it for a little bit, and I didn't like it as well as this, this old Apple you know, SE that fits in my front pocket comfortably. I can use, I only need one hand to, I can hold it in one hand, I can do the stuff I need with my thumb. I love this small phone. Now it's, again, it doesn't do all the things that you need to do. Um, for my birthday a year or two, a year ago or so, my wife bought me up one of those smart watches, those Apple smart watches that you coordinate with your phone. Well, I couldn't do it because it didn't, the, the, this phone I have is so old and it didn't have the capability of doing that. You needed one of the newer phones. And my wife said, okay, this is the justification. Get, get rid of the phone. I said, no, I'd, I'd rather keep the phone and take back the, the smart watch, which you know, I said, I love the gift. I appreciate the thought, but I, I, don't, I don't need it. I don't want it. Now, I bring this up because Apple has really stopped producing these smaller SE phones. Um, they're coming out today with a, a new SE phone. It's available for purchase tomorrow for on next Friday, but it's um, it's it's bigger. It, it's a bigger iPhone, bigger screen, and, and even though they're calling it an SE, it's really not going to be th- this size. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, it, it's funny because there's sometimes when it comes to like new technology, I end up getting I, I end up getting envy for it. I you know for the, the longest time before I bought my my new car a couple of years ago, I mean I didn't have heated seats, I didn't have the rear view cameras, and I'd sit in cars of of friends and colleagues, and they all had it. And I thought, boy, I, I want those heated seats, and I I want that rear view camera. When we are out, everybody pulls out their their smartphones. They've all got bigger screens. They're probably faster. They're probably able to do, you know, more stuff than, than mine does. But I, I've never had that smartphone envy. I, I always say you should never love something that can't love you back. But to the, with that caveat, I love this smartphone. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is bigger better when it comes to these smartphones? Or are you one of these people that, that kind of like me, all right, you, you you like the thing, it might be older, and I understand there's going to be a point in time when I'm probably going to have to bail on this one because they're, they're not going to do upgrades, maybe they've even passed that, and, and, and it's just going to stop functioning. But having said that, um, I love it, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Back with your calls in just a minute. Gru is lining up the calls. All right, I, I just, do you, is bigger better, or the, these old original smartphones, is there some reason that we should, we, we should, shouldn't we be keeping them? I like mine. I don't want to give it up. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, so I've got one of the old-fashioned iPhones. This is the, the SE. It's several years old, but it fits in my hand. I, I like it's got the old-fashioned headphone jack. You don't have to have that that crazy little attachment that you've got to stick in uh, there. Uh, it's it's sturdy. I mean, I, I've never had a cracked screen. I haven't had any problems with it. It fits in my pocket. It does everything that I want. And Apple doesn't want me to be able to have it. They're coming out with a new iPhone SE that's going to have one of these bigger screens. I don't know. Is bigger always better? 855-616-1620. Paul in Elkhorn. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Hey, I'm with you. I, I Before the phone I have now, which is the XR, 
version, I got, I had an iPhone 5, and friends had the bigger phones, but I just, they were so huge. And then finally they came out with the XR phone where the screen was big, but the phone itself wasn't as big as it had been in previous versions. And so I finally right. got one, and then I realized that um, you can kind of, it almost replaces my iPad. You know, I had to do a lot yeah. of work on that. And because of the bigger screen and the applications and all that, I was able to right. almost essentially do all my work from the bigger screen on the phone and not use the iPad as much. Yeah, thanks for the call. And I understand, you know, we, we, we call them iPhones, and, and I get it. Most people... You know, don't don't use them as phones in the conventional sense anymore. I mean, most people, yeah, if you use them to make phone calls, well, that that's a sidelight. What you do is use them to text and access the internet and all that. And I'm not against the the bigger screens. I I understand all that. And if you're watching videos or you're you're working and things like that, yeah, it, it's a lot easier. But you know what? I I still. I, for the purposes that I use the iPhone 4, which is checking your messages, I mean, I'm, I'm not running complicated apps or anything like that. If I'm doing that, I'm I, I'm more likely, you know, I'm on. I mean, I've got a, I've got an iPod, one of the new iPods that's there that's got my music on it, and that's got the stuff. Or I'm, you know, on one of my laptop computers or something like that. I just. You know, it's one of these things where just because we make changes doesn't make them better. And like I say, I bought, I, I purchased, you know, one of the newer, larger iPhones, and it's it's candidly, it's sitting in my drawer because I, I just, I like this one better. Now, at some point in time, maybe the next generation of these, when they come out next year with the, the phones that have the 5G and things like that, I, I might be forced to do it, but I'm, I'm going to miss this phone. Let's talk to uh, Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Well, I am probably one of the very few. I have a flip phone, and I love my flip phone. It's small. It fits in a pocket very easily. I can make calls. I receive calls. I can text, Mm -hmm. and I have a way to uh, keep track of who's called and all that. I I don't need anything else. I love my (laughs) flip phone. Well, you and And my brother-in-law... Dave, you and uh, Sue, you and my brother-in-law, Dave, you you might be the last two people around because he he sends me pictures of his flip phone all the time, and he says the same thing. It's it's the perfect size. It it fits in you know the it fits in your front pocket for a guy. It's easy to carry around, and it does everything that he needs to do. So he he you and my brother-in-law, you, you two are you two are on the same side on this one. I've had this flip phone since two thousand. I don't know. Three, five or something like that. I, you know, it's it's beautiful. It's perfect. My grandkids yeah. just laugh because they got these phones that do everything, but you know, write a check or they, you know, they do everything. <laughs> I don't no, need no, thanks that. For the call, right? No, I thanks. I see. I don't. I don't need it either. No, like I say, I, I, I understand why people like the type of stuff. But and, you know, my wife has one of the 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 new ones, and I, you know, it, it's it's kind of cool. But the bottom line, the, the camera takes better pictures. You know, if we're gonna post something like up on my Twitter account or whatever, but I can use my. We'll, we'll use her phone a lot of times because it takes better pictures. I get it. But then what she'll do is she'll send the picture to me, and then I'll post it on my Twitter account. You know, just just that way. But it does all the different things that I I need something to do. Um, Jeff looks like the new SE doesn't have a headphone jack. No, it doesn't. It, it has a. It, it's 
the the phone I have is the last one that Apple came out with that had the traditional headphone jack. All the other ones have that that dongle thing that you you plug into where you charge it, and then it's got the uh, then it's got the thing. Um, let's see, Jeff. It's not about the size; it's about the technology underneath. The new SE is the electronics of the latest iPhones with the case of the 8 series. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I understand. It, it does fancier things. It does nicer things. But at the same time, I don't need that. I'm happy with I'm happy with the size of the phone. It doesn't need to be bigger. Jeff, I'm a kindred spirit. I had an iPhone 4 that did everything I wanted, but Apple stopped offering software upgrades. I reluctantly purchased an iPhone 10 two years ago. I'm still embarrassed for paying $1,000 for a phone that doesn't really do anything more than my old one, at least nothing I care about. In fact, I drive an older car, and my new phone won't connect to the radio, which the old one um, did. Jeff, as 5G goes up, flip phones will stop working they require old technology that is getting removed from the towers yeah i'm sure that's um that's the inevitable thing jeff no bigger and fancier is not any better in fact i still here's another one i still have a flip phone it does everything i need and everyone around me and that i'm with has these new smartphones so i can always access the internet on one of those no problems with this and it's still on the old battery jeff this is from Bob in West Bend. Great minds think alike. I love my SE for my Apple iPhone SE for the same reasons you do. Mostly, it's because of its size. Hi, Jeff. I'm an Android guy. I have the Galaxy S7. I love my phone. It fits in my pocket, but you upgrade to a new phone now. They're much bigger. They don't fit in the pocket. Why can't they make smaller phones? Well, the answer is I, I think they, they figure that people don't want you know smaller phones. People want the big screens. People want to play the games on them. People want to download the videos and do all that type of stuff. And I understand and, and I respect it. It's just it's just not for me. There should be, you know, still room for some of us out there, even though we're becoming dinosaurs, who don't always think that bigger is better in everything. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. W277-CV and WTMJ Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ. And this is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. All right. This is an interesting little story, and it's an aspect of the stimulus check. If you qualify for a stimulus check, maybe you've gotten yours already. Um, a number of those were deposited in people's accounts this week. If you qualify for a check but they don't have your um, the bank information, you're going to be getting a hard copy of the check, um, hopefully in the next few days. It's going to have President Trump's name on it. That's a whole other story. But interestingly enough, this just like in Chicago, where you on occasion will have dead people vote? Well, you might not know this, but there are dead people that are getting stimulus checks. And you know what? The, 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 the stimulus checks don't have to be given back. Now, you might have to say, okay, you might say, okay, well, wait a second. I mean, I, I've got a relative who passed away. They got the stimulus check. Are, are they supposed to, how do they spend it online? But, but actually, it, it's the way it works. I mean, you see, here's, here is, here's the deal. The and, and what got me started, there was a story about how you know this uh, congressman was talking about how one of his constituents um, got got a note, and the constituent said, "Here, look, the stimulus check for twelve hundred dollars came to my father, which is great, except my bo- my father died in in twenty eighteen, 
So, I mean, you know, is this what, what's the government doing? How screwed up is the government that they're sending checks to, to dead people? Um, in the, is, is the government desperate for people to spend money? Well, actually, the government, at least the way I understand this, isn't going to come. If a situation like that happens, they're, they're not going to ask for their $1,200 back. Here's the deal. See, payments, the money that people are getting in the stimulus checks, are based on the taxpayer's 2019 returns or 2018 returns if they haven't filed for 2019. All right? So um, people whose spouses died in those years would be eligible for a, a payment. So, uh, again, if this was a situation, husband and wife, your spouse dies during 2018. Let's say you haven't filed for 2019 yet, but because he was on the ta- your spouse was on that 2018 tax return, yeah, your spouse is entitled to that. So presumably you, as the heir, you, know, you, you get that money. Um, and so you, you're eligible for the payment. And um, then the, the argument is you don't have to repay this when you file in 2020 because the language of the CARES Act is that a person who gets more than they're entitled cannot have their credit reduced below zero. So long story short, yes, this is happening, and yes, they are sending out checks to people who are deceased. Now, how many of these are going to go out, I, I don't know. But the bottom line is you, you get if, if you get a check um, that's payable to your spouse and everything else was legitimate and your spouse has unfortunately passed away during that period of time, no, you, you don't have to send it back. You know, how, how interesting is that? And it's not a glitch and it's not something that's an unintended consequence. It was something that when they passed this, apparently they knew that there was the possibility that was going to happen. They wanted to get the money to people just as soon as possible. And so they didn't want to go through the rigmarole of trying to figure out Okay, who who might have filed in 2018 might have passed away in in 2019, and that means we've got to cross-reference everything with Social Security, and and even then, you know, the the records are probably going to be a little bit inadequate. So, bottom line is, it 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 doesn't make up for losing your spouse, but it, it's it's not it's not a illegal windfall at all. Hey, here's a story about political correctness, in my opinion, run amok. Um, and, and a victory for that political correctness run amok. Think about times you've been in, in, the, su- in the supermarket, and if you go to, like, the, the dairy section, one of the brands of, of butter that's been around for 100 years is the it's Land O'Lakes Butter, and it's produced, it's actually out of Minnesota, and it's kind of like a farmer's cooperative. It's been around for a, 100 years years and the the butter if you think about the box that the butter comes in the symbol that they have used has been a, a native american it's been an in, what they would call an indian maiden you know and you might remember this she's she's in a flowing dress and she's kneeling and she's holding like a box of butter it's it's a very very iconic image and you can probably it, if you you could remember it if you've seen it, and I think most of us probably have. The Land of Lakes, though, has decided to give in to complaints, and they have decided to drop the quote unquote racist Native American image from the the packaging. 
And so what they're going to do is that the new packaging that should be rolled out by the end of this year, it's going to be essentially the same view, but it's just not going to have the, the kneeling Native American maiden on this. And, and everybody's applauding it. Um, but what's interesting to me is, like I say, Lando Lakes, and they have every right to do whatever it is that they want to do, they, I think, became very, very sensitive to the fact that they were just being ripped by a small but vocal group on the Internet saying that this, this is racist. Putting the, the Indian maid there is racist, and they say, hey, we're, we're pushing 100 years, and, you know, we... We, you know, we, we don't want to offend anybody, and so, you know, we, if it's just, this is easier, it's the course of least resistance, and so here, you know, we're going to take it off. So they're, they're going to do it. I guess I look at things like this, and I, having seen that, that butter for most of my lifetime, it's really never occurred to me to look at it. And I think for most people, you'd look at it, your reaction wouldn't be, oh, this is this terribly racist thing. It's not like it's a caricature or something like that. Land Lakes has every right to do it, but the idea that they felt compelled to do it because, again, a couple screaming voices maintained that this was racist, it's unfortunate that that was the decision and that was what motivated the change. Okay, when we come back, we've got some unique stuff coming up in the 2 o'clock hour. Stick around. Back with more in just a couple of minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. So glad to have you with us. As we all wrestle with the, the impact of coronavirus and COVID-19 and the safer-at-home and shelter-at-home rules that we have, one of I acknowledge one of the themes on, on this program has been that that counterbalance about what we're doing to the economy. When I talk about the economy, it's not this giant amorphous sort of blob that's out there. It's it's the real world. It's our friends, our neighbors who are out there. Maybe as I was saying in the first hour of the program, you know, maybe it's that the small business person who's spent the last twenty or thirty years of their life building up their their business to operate and employing people in the community and paying taxes. Maybe it's the people that have been working for that business for years and years who are now looking at this reality. Because the truth of the matter is, it's there's a lot of businesses that are hurting. There's a lot of big businesses. There's reports of some of these national, for example, department stores that had huge cash flow problems and that unless they're able to figure out how to refinance stuff, the, the idea that they've been closed for uh, weeks, are, are, it's just they don't know if they're going to make it or not. And it's not just a question of when the government allows them to go and start doing business again. It's a function of what are people going to do? Because even if we were to flip a switch and say all these businesses are going to open, the point that I've made from time to time is that I think people in general are, are going to be reluctant, at least for the foreseeable future, maybe to go out in, in droves. For example, hey, who knows what the future of movie theaters is going to be? Who knows how long it's going to be before people feel comfortable in sitting in a giant movie theater with you know 100 or 200 strangers? So I, I'm very, very sensitive to the businesses that are out there and how we can figure out a way to try to help 
businesses get through this difficult time. It's one of the reasons why we encourage you to, you know, to the extent possible and to the extent that you feel comfortable, go out and continue to patronize businesses. A lot of restaurants are, are closed because, you know, their business, their dine-in business, for example, is where there's like 90% of their revenue, and it doesn't make economic sense for them to open takeout. Some restaurants, though, continue to do a huge takeout business, and I know uh, a restaurant, one of my favorite Friday night places, they reopened last week to do Friday fish fries. We were there last week. We've ordered one already. Pick it up at 5 or 5.30. But the trick is trying to figure out what businesses are open so you can patronize them if you feel comfortable doing that. And there's this, this outstanding initiative that, that we're doing at WTMJ, and I wanted to bring our general sales manager, Stephanie Sulak, on, onto the program to talk a little bit about it. Stephanie, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for having me on today. Well, you're very welcome. I tell you, I, I'm actually I'm getting used to working at home, but I very much miss interacting with all my, my teammates and uh, friends, and I, I miss you. I haven't seen you in ages, for goodness sakes. It seems I know. Like. I miss you as well. I was just <laughs> thinking about, you know, I, I see some teammates and everything on the conference calls that we're having every day, but it's not the same as being together, and I cannot wait for the day when we're all back together in the office, whether that's some of us or all of us or whatever it might look like. Absolutely, and we, who knows when that day is going to be. But, Stephanie, let's talk a little bit about the, this initiative that, that you and WTMJ are, are, are driving as a way to try to connect businesses with, with uh, our fans. Great, Jeff. Thanks. First and foremost, before I get into that, I just want to say on behalf of WTMJ and Good Karma Brands that a, sh- uh, a heartfelt shout-out to all of those frontline workers because – They're doing amazing things, and parents and families are suddenly becoming teachers. There's so many businesses out there and people that are suffering in a variety of ways, and our sympathy goes out to each and every one of them as we are all looking for a way to survive during these unprecedented times. And that kind of takes us back to, you know, what we're doing for these businesses. We want to help. WTMJ is a lot about community and finding ways to help our local community. So what we've done is we've created a section on our website where businesses in southeastern Wisconsin can submit that they're open, and our listeners can go there and search for who's open. Mm -hmm. And and let's be clear here. You you don't have to be a partner. You don't have to be an advertiser with us. We just want to be sort of a clearinghouse for places that are open so people can see so they can patronize them. Exactly. We do have a lot of our advertisers and partners on there already, but what we're looking for is to provide our fans and listeners with any business in the community um, that can go and put information on the website about who is open, what their adjusted hours might look like, if they're delivering or if they're doing curbside pickup, et cetera, because everybody's doing different things now and likely has some sort of change with their business. So they can list that on this page on WTMJ.com. Now, okay, so let, let's let's walk this let's walk through this for people who might be a little bit technology challenged. I, I want to find out what businesses are open. Walk me through the process. What do I have to do? Sure. So you go to wtmj.com, and in the top menu with all of the other um, menu items, there is a link that says "We're open." If you click on that page and scroll down, you'll be able to see in alphabetical order. All of the businesses that are open, their phone numbers, their websites, you can click right on the link to go to their website, or you can just see some information about who's open. 
if you're a business that wants to submit your location, you can click on the, uh, the button that says click here to submit a business, and it will take you to a form where you can fill out your name, your hours, and, and the information that you'd like to have listed as well. So it's pretty simple. And if you have questions, you can always uh, contact anybody at the station, and we can help you get to that information. Right. But again, one of the things we're trying to do with this initiative is just to encourage our fans, our listeners, to support the businesses in the community where, you know, we're all working. And the sooner we are able to get open for business, the better it is for everybody. And if we can patronize some of these places that are having, you know, difficult times and help them get through that, it's just a win all around. Absolutely. You know, we have so many family and friends that are working and neighbors, for that matter, working at small businesses, at large big box stores, and we want to help them all. So if you're open, uh, whether large or small in southeastern Wisconsin, please submit the information so that we can help everybody see that and support your business. Stephanie Sulak, General Sales Manager. Hope to see you again soon. Thanks for joining me this afternoon. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. Yeah, you as well. Um, that, that's Steph- and this is, it's actually, I, I wanted to just open up the, I wanted to have Stephanie on because when I saw this initiative, and I, I, you know, you get all, you get all sorts of stuff if you do what I do for a living. And, and, you know, there, we're always trying to figure out as part of this community ways to, to make a difference. You know, we had the WTMJ Cares thing earlier this week where, you know, John McCure spent two hours with these experts and, and taking your questions and things like that. I am, I am very, very concerned, and I say this legitimately, with the economic impact of, of what we're going to look like when we come out of this. And this, regardless of, regardless of whether you think that we need to be, have the state shut down completely for another six weeks or, or what, that doesn't matter. Whether it's two weeks from now or four weeks from now or six weeks from now or three months from now, I'm concerned with, with what the impact of all this has been. And anything I think we can do to try to help keep local businesses open and employing people or ready to, to jump back and, and go, okay, maybe it's a business that's had to cut half its staff but, but hopes to be able to hire that other half back as soon as possible. Anything we can do to try to support that, I, I think that we, we should do that. And so this is just this initiative. If you are a business, if you are open, you want to go on our website, you know, post this type of information, and, and then we can help use this as a clearinghouse. It's initi- an initiative that I really I applaud the people who came up with this quite a bit, and you can all check that information out simply by going to WTMJ.com. When we come back, we're going to be talking to talking to somebody about something very special and very actually near to my heart that's going to be going on next week. It is an opportunity for some some online education and learning that maybe all of us should consider taking advantage of. That's coming up in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Again, so very glad to have you with us. Over the course of the last couple of years, we, we've talked occasionally in this program about the the increasing incidence of anti-Semitic activities and, and actions, and 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 a lot of it, some of it comes from evil intent. I think some of it just comes from a, a fundamental lack of awareness of, of various circumstances. And you know, earlier this year, you had the legislature of the state that that passed. Uh, appropriate legislation, in my mind, requiring mandatory teaching of the Holocaust. Because believe it or not, there are apparently generations of of people who are growing up where they, they have no awareness of, of what 
what the Holocaust was uh, about. In Wisconsin, and in this area in particular, we're, we're very fortunate to have the Holocaust Education Resource Center. It is a wonderful, wonderful organization um, that, that informs people about the Holocaust in order to, again, keep the memories alive so we, we understand how horrible this was, so hopefully we don't repeat this. Now, next week is Holocaust Education Week and Holocaust Remembrance Day, and I'm very pleased to be joined now by Dr. Dan Homschild, who is with the Holocaust Education Resource Center. Um, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you doing? Thank you for having me on. I- Absolutely. Now, you're, you're the director of, of education for the Holocaust Education Resource Center, and, and I know next week is Holocaust Education Week. Tell me what, what that means and, and what, what you guys are going to be doing. Sure. Well, uh, this week uh, we will be celebrating Yom HaShoah, which is the commemoration of the liberation of Auschwitz. And Auschwitz was liberated, the famous extermination camp, was liberated 75 years ago this week. And in commemoration of that, there are events happening all over the world. We have a virtual Yom HaShoah happening this Sunday uh, that you can see on our Facebook page at the Holocaust Center of Milwaukee, the Nathan and Esther Peltz Holocaust Education Resource Center's Facebook page. Um, But also in commemoration of this, we are combining forces with smaller organizations from around the country to provide a, a bounty of resources for people in all of our networks so that people can learn about the Holocaust and what it means to have survived, hear the stories of survivors, and, and uh, engage with the material in a meaningful, respectful way. You know, what's interesting, Dan, is I, I, I checked out the website, and I saw the various links that you have, and it really... It looks it looks fascinating uh, the the, ver- the variety of of people that you have and the variety of subject matter that you cover within this umbrella. It would seem to me with people talking about homeschooling and th- this would be a wonderful opportunity next week to to take some time and, and check out and learn about a part of of world history that that really we we can't allow to be forgotten. Absolutely. Um, The nice thing about the resources that we have is that some of them are live. Uh, For example, on Monday night, there's a live event that's going on with the Philadelphia Holocaust Remembrance Alliance uh, or Foundation, which uh, is one of our partners in this Holocaust Education Week. Um, But you can also access those live events later on. So a similar event is happening in Milwaukee, and you can access that event through our Facebook page and through our virtual resources via our website, whether you have the capacity to see it in real time and and actually interact with the people who are putting on these events, or if you don't have the time to do it in the moment, you can always circle back to the resources later on and and dig in to whatever degree you're able to. How... Uh, how how is is Holocaust awareness going? I know it's one of your, your your missions because I think one of the things that stunned a lot of us is is that there there are maybe a generation, maybe two generations of people who really who have either are unaware or have forgotten the significance of this. I mean, how how are we doing at getting the message out about what happened? Certainly, there are indications that. The Holocaust memory is being forgotten. Um, Recent studies have shown that 50% of millennials have never heard of Auschwitz, um, which is the most infamous extermination camp uh, of the Nazis. Um, And so we certainly are in an uphill battle right now that 
people are beginning to forget, and we're also at a very pivotal moment in history. Our organization, HERC, uh, was founded by survivors and their families in honor of the memory of their experience. And at this time, our survivor network is is really dwindling, um, as can be expected with uh, just the passage of time. And so not only are young people forgetting about the Holocaust or not being made aware of the Holocaust, but the people who can attest firsthand to what it means to experience the Holocaust, to survive the Holocaust, are also fading away. So we're really at a very pivotal moment in history in terms of learning about the Holocaust and building awareness about that event. Okay. So for people who, who want information, we're, we're using the acronym HERC, H-E-R-C, which is Holocaust Education Resource Center. And, and also the, the Milwaukee Jewish Organization, of course, has a lot of, of information about this as well. So if people want to see the websites that I was looking at, what, what do they do? What's the easiest way to get there? Yeah, the easiest way is, is to go to our website, which is just holocaustcentermilwaukee.org. And from there, you can click on uh, a tab uh, called Virtual Resources, and you'll see all the events for the Holocaust Education Week, as well as a number of other things that we have access to, including, for example, a number of stories in our Enduring Legacies archive, which is an archive of many of the survivors who uh, have lived in Wisconsin at some point um, that are documented and saved on our, on our website. So you can actually hear the stories of dozens of survivors through that website. It is, it is an amazing resource, and, and I've had the opportunity to to meet firsthand a, a couple of those survivors and, and to listen to the stories. It's just, it's everybody, everybody, in my opinion, should should have an opportunity to hear some of these stories because they, they touch you in a way, you, you, you will never forget them once you've heard the stories that these people tell. Absolutely, and really that's something that our organization is focused on, is making uh, people aware that the Holocaust is not just a Jewish story, right? It's a story of people. It's a people story. And it's a story about individuals and human beings who faced something that was unimaginably horrific and nonetheless kept alive a light of hope uh, that can inspire us today. Uh, Dan, thanks so much for joining us, and thanks for all the good stuff you do. I appreciate it very much. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I wanted to, I, you know, once I became a, aware of this, and uh, again, I'm, I'm familiar with the work of the Holocaust Education Resource Center, and, and next week being Holocaust Education Week, check out this website, and I think you're, you're, going, to, you're going to have access to all sorts of things. And, and again, if, if you're doing some at-home schooling, for example, this, this, I understand it's perhaps not in the curriculum, but this might be well worth your, your time to, to check it out. Um, but 50% of millennials having no knowledge of, of Auschwitz. Um, wow, this is Jeff Wagner.